Mastery by Robert Greene. This is a doozy of a book. So let's talk about it. I first read this book a few years ago. It took me a few months to get through just the first half, which was really slow going. And then I like set the book down and kind of forgot about it for a few months, picked it up and like zipped through the last half in just a few days. I don't know. I guess I like the last half better than the first half. Anyway, that was three years ago. And now I'm reviewing all these highlighted sections and notes I made from when I first read it because it's one of those books that it's worth revisiting. If I had like a most influential books list, this book would be on it. Good shit. Okay. So Green talks about finding your main thing in life, which he calls your life's task, which is kind of an awkward phrase to say out loud over and over again. Thanks, Mr. Green. Frankly, I'm kind of wary of this type of philosophical approach to work or life. This feels a lot like opting out of responsibility, which is like making your own choices and bowing to some vague idea of destiny or fate. And Green does use those kind of words a lot. He talks about fulfilling your destiny and... Um, not blindly following the fate of the masses, but finding your own kind of correct path. And to do that, you find your life's task and then you become a master at it is basically the premise of this book. Okay, I, I mean, there's some value in thinking that way, but I do have questions like who is assigning these tasks and why do we all have one and, and how can you ever be sure you figured out what your life's task really is? I guess the point is that whether you frame this as being something that destiny has put upon your shoulders or something that you take responsibility for and choose for yourself, in the end, you're still the one making the choice to follow this, this path as your life's work or not. So whether you think of it as something destiny has predetermined for you or not, it's still up to you whether you achieve it. Anyway, maybe we should take a look at how Green actually defines what a life's task is instead of just listening to me criticize what I think he might mean. So, all of us are born unique, he says. This uniqueness is marked genetically in our DNA. We are a one-time phenomenon in the universe. Our exact genetic makeup has never occurred before, nor will it ever be repeated. For all of us, this uniqueness first expresses itself in childhood through certain primal inclinations. How can we explain such inclinations? There are forces within us that come from a deeper place than conscious words can express. They draw us to certain experiences and away from others. This primal uniqueness naturally wants to assert and express itself. It has a natural assertive energy to it. Your life's task is to express your uniqueness through your work. So to green, fulfilling your destiny or accomplishing your life's task is to allow your uniqueness to grow and express itself as fully as you can, which may sound very fluffy like bad career advice along the lines of just follow your passion and it will all work out. But green is pretty clear about the amount of work you have to put in. He's also clear about what happens if you're not willing to put in the work and you settle for some easier but more mundane course of life. If you lose contact with this inner calling, you can have some success in life, but eventually your lack of true desire catches up with you. Your work becomes mechanical. And then he comes around with statements like this. We must create our own world or we will die from inaction. And this one. The passive ironic attitude is not cool or romantic, but pathetic and destructive. He goes on to talk about what might keep us from doing our own work following that inner voice 
and living according to that unique force that we all have. What weakens this force, what makes you not feel it or even doubt its existence is the degree to which you have succumbed to another force in life, social pressures to conform. This counter force can be very powerful. Check that. It's tough to trust the internal voice of your own unique individuality over all the combined external voices of pretty much everybody else. But overcoming social pressures and the call to conformity is key to becoming what Green calls a master. Some people never become who they are. They stop trusting in themselves, they conform to the tastes of others, and they end up wearing a mask that hides their true nature. If you allow yourself to learn who you really are by paying attention to that voice and force within you, then you can become what you were fated to become, an individual, a master. So the entire first section of the book is dedicated to helping you define or discover your life's task. A few points stand out. One, work is more than work. This inner voice emanates from your individuality. It tells you which activities suit your character. And at a certain point, it calls you to a particular form of work or career. Your work then is something connected deeply to who you are, not a separate compartment in your life. You develop a sense of your vocation. Two, it's not going to be straightforward. You must see your career or vocational path more as a journey with twists and turns rather than a straight line. Three, this is practical how to succeed advice, not feel good fluff. It is a globalized, harshly competitive environment. We must learn to develop ourselves. At the same time, it is a world teeming with critical problems and opportunities best solved and seized by entrepreneurs, individuals, or small groups who think independently, adapt quickly, and possess unique perspectives. Your individualized creative skills will be at a premium. Four, it's evolution, and it's good for everyone. Feeling that we are called to accomplish something is the most positive way for us to supply a sense of purpose and direction to ourselves. Our evolution as a species has depended on the creation of a tremendous diversity of skills and ways of thinking. We thrive by the collective activity of people supplying their individual talents. Without such diversity, a culture dies. Your uniqueness at birth is a marker of this necessary genetic diversity. To the degree you cultivate and express it, you are fulfilling a vital role. So, like, no pressure, but the preservation of our species depends on you finding your life's task and mastering it, right? We better get to work. The second section of the book discusses apprenticeship. There are lots of ways to be an apprentice. The key is to choose opportunities that offer the greatest possibilities for learning and help you move toward challenges that will toughen and improve you where you will get the most objective feedback on your performance and progress. A key point of growth often accomplished in one type of apprenticeship or another is the refusal to give up when learning becomes difficult, even very difficult. What separates masters from others is often something surprisingly simple. Whenever we learn a new skill, we frequently reach a point of frustration what we are learning seems beyond our capabilities. Giving in to these feelings, we unconsciously quit on ourselves before we actually give up in the external. The difference is not simply a matter of determination, but of trust and faith. Filled with trust in the process, masters trudge on well past the point at which others slow down or mentally quit. The third section is about finding guidance from mentors. 
We might use the word expert instead, seeking out those who are experts who excel in some particular way that is important to the work we want to do is important for two reasons. First, it helps us learn the skills needed to raise the quality of our work to truly operate at the level of a master in whatever it is we're wanting to do. Second, learning from an expert or a mentor is a shortcut to success. What we, when we learn something in a concentrated manner, it has added value. We experience fewer distractions. What we learn is internalized more deeply because of the intensity of our focus and practice. Our own ideas and development flourish more naturally in this shortened time frame. As with apprenticeships, there are lots of ways to find and learn from and work with mentors. And it's important to note that given enough time and effort, you will or at least should outgrow your mentors. At that point, it's time to say thanks and move on with gratitude or transform the mentor relationship into something more like a partnership. Moving on, section four is all about social intelligence, which is learning how to see people as they actually are, not as we imagine or want them to be. The most effective attitude to adopt is one of supreme acceptance. The world is full of people with different characters and temperaments. We all have a dark side, a tendency to manipulate and aggressive desires. The most dangerous types are those who repress their desires or deny the existence of them. You are an observer of the human comedy, and by being as tolerant as possible, you gain a much greater ability to understand people and to influence their behavior when necessary. There's a great deal of insight here and strategies for increasing your social intelligence, but we could sum them up by saying, watch the patterns. Trust what people do over time rather than what they say or the identity they try to present. What you want is a picture of a person's character over time. Restrain yourself from the natural tendency to judge right away. Your goal is to identify and pierce through to what makes people unique, to understand the character and values that lie at their cores. Discard the exterior and focus only on their actions and you will have a clearer picture. At the same time, remember that most of the time you won't be given that same degree of attention over time. People will judge and they will judge quickly and they will tend to judge you based on your outward appearance. Green's advice is to be aware of this tendency and work with it. Turn this dynamic around by consciously molding these appearances, creating the image that suits you and controlling people's judgments. In this diverse multicultural world, it is best that you learn how to mingle and blend into all types of environments, giving yourself maximum flexibility. You must take pleasure in creating these personas. It will make you a better performer on the public stage. Section five explores how to take the knowledge gained through apprenticeship, mentors, and your own study and skill building and apply it in new and original ways to the work you want to do. It's all about creative action and success in creative action requires two things. First, the task that you choose must be realistic. The knowledge and skills you have gained must be eminently suited to pulling it off. Second, you must let go of your need for comfort and security. Creative endeavors are by their nature uncertain. You may know your task, but you are never exactly sure where your efforts will lead. Section six is about fusing your intuition with your rational thinking process. Those who reach mastery gain what Green calls an intuitive feel for the whole. It's not a mystical or a miraculous thing. It's the result of all that learning, work, skill building, focus, and study that you do as you reach for mastery. 
The ability to have this intuitive grasp of the whole and feel this dynamic is simply a function of time. With this much practice and experience, all kinds of connections have been formed in the brain between different forms of knowledge. Masters thus have a sense of how everything interacts organically, and they can intuit patterns or solutions in an instant. Intuition, or at least the kind of intuitive knowing that masters demonstrate, is a function of information that has been absorbed to the degree that it is resting in your subconscious. And it can be called up when you need it to help solve a problem, answer a question, or create something new. Intuition, primitive or high level, is essentially driven by memory. When we take in information of any kind, we store it in a mnemonic network in the brain. The stability and durability of these networks depend on repetition, intensity of experience, and how deeply we pay attention. Throughout the book, Green shares a lot of stories and challenges of various masters and pithy little observations about uh, psychology and evolutionary tendencies and human behavior and failure and success and creativity and tiny little subjects like that. For example, a natural response when people feel overwhelmed is to retreat into various forms of passivity. If we don't try too much in life, if we limit our circle of action, we can give ourselves the illusion of control. The less we attempt, the less our chance of failure. If we can make it look like we are not really responsible for our fate, for what happens to us in life, then our apparent powerlessness is more palatable. For this reason, we become attractive to certain narratives. Boy, do we ever become attracted to certain narratives. Anyway, this book is all about achieving mastery in your work or vocation, but it applies to a much larger arena. I feel like in one sense I've failed Green's first requirement for mastery, finding your life's task. I'm almost 40 years old and I still don't really have any idea what I want to do when I grow up except for learn and explore and keep learning and exploring and get deep with people who also want to learn and explore because there's really nothing more infinite to explore than the inner workings of humanity and relationships are a great way to go exploring. I don't know how to wrap that interest up into a neat little package that sounds like a life's task, but maybe that's okay. Maybe it's just good to know that for me, the most exciting aspect of being alive here on earth, doing whatever it is we're doing is discovering what's out there or what's in here and understanding as much as I can. And it's all the richer if I can share that process with others. And it's completely satisfying if I can allow what I learned to transform me and to help me actively create a life that is as fluid and vast and delightful and unpredictable as the human spirit. The desire for what is simple and easy infects all of us, often in ways we are mostly unaware of. The only solution is the following. We must learn how to quiet the anxiety we feel whenever we are confronted with anything that seems complex or chaotic. What we are doing is gaining a tolerance and even a taste for chaotic moments, training ourselves to entertain several possibilities or solutions. Faithfully pursuing this course over enough time, we will eventually be rewarded with intuitive powers. Possessing even a part of such power will instantly separate us from all of the others who find themselves overwhelmed and straining to simplify what is inherently complex. What seemed chaotic to us before will now seem to be simply a fluid situation with a particular dynamic that we have a feel for and can handle with relative ease.